Good morning. Can I just say I love Sunday? Can I say happy Sunday? Can you just say I love Sunday? Say that with me. I love Sunday, sun, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons, naps, playing with the kids, that kind of stuff. Sundays are great. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for being part of Horrible Bosses Part 2. All of us have had bosses like that, and that's part of the conversation. And I'll, I'll get into a little bit more what Horrible Bosses is. But I want to start with this story. I've been telling a lot of stories recently, my own childhood, and, and my, my dad made the comment, he's like, it's always about your mom, something with your mom, and uh, I didn't even realize that, but I, it's true. Um, and this morning, I get to tell a story about Christy, my wife's childhood, and, her, and an interaction she had with her mom. When Christy was about eight or nine years old, she kind of discovered the, uh, that there's, there's a Christmas list that parents make in, you know, like early December, mid-December, where they make a list of all the gifts that they're going to buy. And she became really fascinated by this, this list. She, and, and she's like, I want to see this list. I want to know what's on that list for me, what, what, what gifts I'm going to get. And Christy is not the oldest in her family, but she's definitely the most devious um, she has a little brother and a big sister, and she tried to get them in, like, hey, let's find that list, and they're like, I'm not sure about this. There's one day, the, the fateful day was they had a babysitter, and Christy even tried to enlist the babysitter's help. Hey, wouldn't it be fun to find the Christmas list with my gifts on it? And the babysitter's like, I'm not touching that. I'm not getting fired. And so she you know, wouldn't help. Well, finally, I think it goes that they were playing hide-and-go-seek, and Christy, instead of hiding, went and started snooping. And she found it in the most likely of places, you know, that portion of our kitchen that has just a pile of papers underneath the microwave or by the drawer or whatever. Sure enough, right in the middle of that was the list with everything that her mom was going to buy her for Christmas, for, uh, for Katie for Christmas, for Joe for Christmas. And of course, like any eight or nine-year-old, she's like, I got it, I got it. And she goes and runs over to her brother and sister, shows it to him. Agnes, her mom, comes home, finds out that they'd found the list. And Christy, when she told me the story, and we talked about the story I mean, over the years, I, I decided right then and there, if that ever happened, if my kids ever pulled a stunt like that, Christmas is canceled. I don't care whose fault it is. I don't, hear, I don't care who gets jilted that Christmas is canceled that year. Fortunately, you can boo me. You don't have to boo Agnes, Christy's mom, because Christy's mom did not cancel Christmas. But... My guess is that on Christmas morning, there was something, like as they're opening up gifts, some of the magic was lost. You know, there wasn't anything, ooh, I wonder what this is, you know, because they already knew what they were getting. And, and here's, here's where I want to go with this, and, and here's what I want to highlight. And here's why I started with this. I want us to get that idea in our brain. I want us to picture an, you know, an eight or nine-year-old kid that wants so badly, uh, is so intent on getting what they, you know, getting what they want that they go to, to drastic measures and, and they're so intent on getting Christmas early that they're actually in danger of ruining Christmas. They're in danger of, of spoiling and tainting the gifts that they're about to receive just because they want them so badly that they can do some things, they can try to manipulate the situation and taint the whole experience of Christmas and kind of make it, uh. And the irony of this is that it, these are, they're ruining gifts that, that the parents want to give them 
that the parents sit down and painstakingly think, what wouldn't they make them so happy? And it's that very thing that they end up ruining. I want us to have that um, um, in our mind because it, it is, there's a danger here for, for all of us to, to take gifts uh, before they're given and ruin Christmas. And here, here's what I mean by that. And, and, and this is how it ties to horrible bosses. Last week with horrible bosses, we, we said three things that when it comes to horrible bosses is all about the authority in our lives. And we, we could sit and talk about the Michael Scotts and the, you know, the different bosses in our lives, the bad teachers, the bad coaches. But the problem is, is they're not here. You're here. So we decided, um, we, we, we said it this way. Go ahead and put that up. Authority figures are unavoidable. That was kind of the first thing. Like, authority is going to be a part of my life and a part of yours. It's just, and, and, and if, you're a, if you're a student here, you might think that it's, you're going to lose, and, you know, the older you get, the less authority. The older you get, the more freedom and the more responsibility. Yes, you grow in those things. But actual authority, you actually get more of it. Any adult will tell you, I have more authority. I have more people asking for my money, more people asking for my time, and, and holding me accountable to things than I was when I was a kid. Authority figures are unavoidable. Second, because they're unavoidable, bad bosses are inevitable. We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people who some of them are just downright mean. Some of them are just oblivious. But a lot, and a lot of them are bad bosses. So it's inevitable that we're going to have a bad boss eventually. And the last thing, and this is really what this series is about, is that our response is crucial. That how we react to the authority over us, it, it, it affects our quality of life. Both personally, like if, if we talked about if you're honest with yourself, that my problem with authority usually causes a lot of problems for me personally, if I'm honest. I, if, if, if I tell a boss off and I get fired, I'm the one preparing a resume the next day. He's not. If I you know, disrespect a teacher and I don't do the homework because they're stupid, I'm the one retaking the class. If, I, if I'm going through a tough time at work and having a hard time with people over me, and it's like that, and, and, and I come home every day and I rant about it and just, oh, I'm so frustrated. My wife has to take the brunt of that. Our problems with authority usually hurt us personally more than anyone else. But here, the, the other problem with authority, the, the other thing that comes from our problems with authority is it, it, hurt, it can hurt our relationship with God. Because we looked at a passage last time, one of many passages in the New Testament that talks about how all authority is really just God's authority. That all authority stems, it, it's, 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 it's from God. It, it, all authority is really just on rent from God. And therefore, when we disrespect the authorities above us, actually what we're doing is we're disrespecting God. Like we talked about the org chart, and that on the top of all of our org sh- charts should be God, comma, CEO, chief of everything officer. And that authority is, is on loan. And so when we rebel against authority, we're really rebelling against him. Also, on the flip side, the opportunity we have with d- difficult bosses is an opportunity to submit and honor them. And in turn, we're actually submitting and honoring God. And that's what the cool thing about our faith is, is we get a chance to honor God through difficult situations. So that's horrible bosses in a nutshell. Now today, what I want us to see is with the whole Christmas thing and the taking and the gift thing, there will come a time in our lives where we will bump up against a, an authority figure in our, in our lives and, and we will feel, and, and, and you probably all of us could say we felt this, you will feel like they are in the way of, of, get, of you getting something that you deserve 
something that you want, something that you've promised, something you've worked hard for, and, and all of a sudden you bump up against them and they're getting in the way and there'll come a time where you, 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 you'll be tempted to get them out of the way somehow and then take what is rightfully yours. The problem is, is when we take what we think is ours, if it's not yet given to us, even if it's something good, something that God has maybe ordained for us in the future to have a, a good job, authority, or good pay, or be able to take care of our family, things that God wants to lead us into, even if we rush in and we take those things, sometimes that's the best way to ruin those gifts. So we need to be careful. We're going to look at a guy named Jacob this morning. We're going to walk through a whole ton of his life. When I speak over 40 minutes at church, I have to run a mile for every minute that, I, that the team makes me do that. I have a feeling I'm going to be running this week, just to warn you. Sorry about that. Because there's a lot to cover with, with Jacob. But Jacob is a classic taker. He's a guy, and the craziest thing about Jacob is the fact that, that from day one, God ordained Jacob's life to be amazing. Jacob is, was the son of a man named Isaac, who was the son of a man named Abraham. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, this is you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are big dudes. They lived, their story is found in, in the book of Genesis. So their account is, is it happened about 4,000 years ago. If we're reading something today that's 4,000 years old, it's pretty fun. And some of the things are kind of weird, their traditions, their, their outlook on life. There's sometimes there's some superstition in there that we're like, I don't get that. But it would, I think what you'll find is as we look at the passage, there's so much, it's amazing how relevant it actually is. As we watch this guy, this guy Jacob, who God has blessed from day one and said, hey, I'm going to do amazing things through you. And yet, all throughout his life, we find him wrestling with authority. We find him wrestling with these ceilings that he keeps hitting with his brother, with his dad, with his boss. And what we find is, we find him taking what has not yet been given to him. It's been promised to him, but it hasn't been given it to him yet. And we're going to find out what the consequence of that is. So starting off here, when, when, when Jacob's mom, Rebecca, was pregnant, she had this, like, a lot of jostling going on, and she inquired, it's kind of odd, like, she inquired of the Lord, like, what is this? Like, why is there jostling in my belly? To which any pregnant woman would say, like, like you're pregnant. That's what happens. But God answers it, and he's like, actually, what's happening is there's twins in there. There's two, there's two and, he, and he says this. It says, there's two nations are in your womb. Um, two nations in your womb, and two people, two peoples from within you will be separated. Go ahead and put that verse up. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. So God, God says to Rachel, or to, I'm sorry, to Rachel, to Rebecca, God says to Rebecca, hey, there's, this is what's going on in your belly. There's, two, two, there's like a war going on in your belly because there's these two brothers that are going to be two separate nations. But what's interesting about them is the older is going to serve the younger. The, young, the, old, the, the younger is going to serve, no, the older is going to serve the younger. The younger is going to be more powerful than the older. And then, so these two boys are born. And if you're familiar with the story, there's Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, and Jacob came out second, grabbing his heel. That, that's that's like what Jacob actually means, is like heel grabber. 
And it's like Jacob from, from day one, it, to me as I read this, it's like from day one, he's like, I'm going to trip you up, brother. That, that, whatever you're going to get out there, that's mine. <laughs> and, and, and he's grabbing onto his heel, and, and that's kind of the, the start of this. And, 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 and here's a couple other things that we need to know about the story and about Jacob and Esau. We need to know that, J- that Esau was really hairy and that Jacob was a, a homebody. I, I kid you not, this is very important information for, to understanding this story. Jacob was hairy and red from the day he was born. Kind of weird, like, like one of those wolf kids or something like that. And then, and did I say Jacob or Esau? Esau was hairy. Jacob was probably not hairy. He was more of a homebody. It, it, it says it like this. Um, it's, and, and what happens is, uh, it says that Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, where, whereas uh, Esau was, was a hunter and a man of the open field. He was the original redneck. He was, you know, like he was, uh, his name even needs, means red. Um, and it says this, this is the, 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 the parents' response to this. This is Genesis 25, 33. It says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. To which when you read that, you say, bummer. Because favoritism in family never ends well, does it? We're not supposed to play favorites, and we're definitely not supposed to take sides. Like if you've ever been part of a divorce, a rough divorce, and that whole idea of of, uh, mom or dad, that's going on in in this complete nuclear family. He's... it, there's, there's favoritism, which means there's competition. I won't go into the details, but the very first story, it said the Bible says, or Genesis says, uh, that the boys grow up, and there's this account where Esau comes in from the open field as an unsuccessful hunter, which I have to say, I respect that. It happens to the best of us. But he comes in from the open field, and he's famished. And, and here's Jacob. Did I say, I said Esau, right? Okay, make sure I'm right. You've got to read your Bibles. You never know what I'm saying. Um, Jacob's making a stew or a soup, and, and, and Esau comes in. And he's like, give me some of that stew or the soup. You know, give me, give me some of that, otherwise I'm going to die. And, 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 and Jacob very shrewdly, very slyly says, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Sell me your birthright. Your bir- the birthright was the power, the responsibility, the authority that came from being the firstborn very important thing in their culture. Something that God had promised Jacob, and, and I, this whole interchange, I was really digging in on it this week because I'm like, why did he do that? What did he actually gain from that whole interchange? I mean, it's not like Jacob can actually, it's not like Esau can actually give him that birthright. And here's what he gained. He got Esau to say, uncle. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, you, have bro- if you have a brother, there's a time, in, you know, like, say uncle. There's a dominance. Who's more powerful? And, and Jacob, who can probably not beat Esau in a wrestling match, just given their description, and definitely cannot beat him in a beard-growing match, can, here he finds an opportunity to beat him. He says, I'm going to do that. And, and so there's, that's the interchange. That's the competition that we see in their lives. Years go by. And, and it says, and the, the author of Genesis says that, the, um, that Isaac grew, uh, grew older and, and, and lost his vision. And so Isaac, not knowing how long he's going to die, or how long he's going to live, he, he calls in Esau, and, and he says this to him. It's, this is Genesis 26. 
Isaac, Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow. Esau, you hunter, go get your quiver and your bow and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me so I might eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So Re- Rebecca, so, so Esau goes out, and, and Rebecca hears, overhears this conversation. And, and she does something really sly. She, she pulls in Jacob, and she says, listen, your dad's about to give your brother your blessing. So here's what I want you to do. Go out in the field, go grab a, a goat, two goats. We'll, sl- you know, we'll cut them up. I'll cook it just the way your dad likes it. And you, you, know, you go in there and you go get what's yours. You go take your blessing, Jacob. Now it's at this moment I really want, I want us to pause because there's something that comes up front and center that I think is important for us to see. That in our lives, when we're dealing with the bosses that are over us, there's going to come a point in time where we have an opportunity. Um, we have a, a decision to make um, we have a, a chance to usurp, to undermine, to, to go around them, to sidestep, to cut a corner, to force a hand, to have a conversation, to make something happen so that we get what we want, deserve, or have been promised. Like, that's going to happen in our lives. We're going to come to a point in time where we have a decision to make. And, and, and it, it's, it might not be nice, to get the end result might not be nice. It might be kind of gray, but what the end result might be pretty black and white. It might, you know, like what, what you have to do in order to make that happen might not be something you want to tell your kids because there's a lie that's involved. I just had to tell this one lie. Okay, maybe it's two or three lies because always one lie ends up being more. You, know, you might find yourself saying, I don't normally do this, but given the circumstances, you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. And that's where Jacob is here today. There's going to come a time where you have to make a decision. Here's the other thing that I want us to see from, from this interchange. I think it's really powerful. I think it's also good for us to realize that the people who love us the most, care for us the most, re- the people we respect the most, are sometimes in complete support of that decision. In fact, sometimes it's their idea. Rebecca calls Jacob in and says, here's the plan. Let's get what you deserve. Jacob, initially, he resists it. And I wish I could say he resists it because his conscience wouldn't let him do it. He's like, I'd never do that to my brother. I'd never do that to my dad. Or I wouldn't, I, I, God has promised this. No, we don't need to do this, Mom. I wish I could say this. But literally, his excuse is, no, I can't do that because I'm not hairy enough. Literally. And she's like, I got a plan for that too. We'll take that goat skin. We're going to wrap your arms. And he's like, are you sure this is going to work? And, th- and that's what they do. And he goes in, and um, there's this interchange between him and his dad. And Isaac's like, are you sure? Like, you have the voice of Jacob. Like, and, 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 and there's a few things that he tests the situation. And finally, he, he calls Jacob near. And, and he smells the, 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 um, the clothes, the, the fur. And he's like, ah, the smell of the open field, you're my son. And he blesses Jacob thinking it was Esau. 
And that's how Jacob got his blessing. He got his birthright, some maybe, kind of. He got his birthright from try, stealing, you know, give it to me. Take it for the soup. He got his blessing from deception, fooling his dad. That's how he did it. And, and so he leaves, and as soon as he leaves, Esau comes in. Like, Dad, I, I'm here. And he's like, what? And they, they, they quickly realize that they've been duped. And, and Esau says, I'm going to kill Jacob. And, and all of a sudden, Jacob is starting to realize, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. He got what he wanted. It costs something. Rebecca, again, hears what's going on, that Esau is livid and, and planning to actually kill Jacob. And she says, you need to leave. And so he, she, she says, go, I want you to go to my, where the land of my people, which is um, to the east of, of, of where they are now. He says, I want you to go to the east. I want you to find my family. Go find my, my brother Laban. And I want you to marry someone from over there. Don't marry the women here. Marry over there. So, so, he, so he grew up here in the west, and he, he, and he leaves and flees Esau going to the east and goes a couple hundred miles, finds Laban, find, finds his uncle. And then this is weird to us. He, he, he falls in love with Rachel, who is Laban's um, daughter, which is a cousin. Uh, in that culture, that was not weird at all. That was, it was, you wanted to marry people you were familiar with. And so, so he, he, it says that, that Jacob fell in love with, with Rachel, um, but he didn't have anything to give Laban to, to marry Rachel. So he's like, I will work for you for seven years if I can marry your daughter. And, and uh, Laban's like, deal, sure, great. And the Bible, the, in, in Genesis, it says this, and Jacob worked those seven years, and it felt like but a couple days because of his love for Rachel. So he works those seven years, and then, it, the, again, another odd thing in this passage, th at the wedding, Laban does a little switcheroo, and he said, his, Rachel was the younger daughter, and Laban's like, I want the older daughter to go first, like, that just seems more natural, so he switches the daughters, and Jacob marries her, and then wakes up the next morning, and, and, and the text says, it literally says, and there was Leah. I don't know how that happens. I know, I th there's probably veils, like think of a Middle Eastern type of wedding. There's alcohol at weddings, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but that's what happened. And, and, um, and, and Jacob's like, what the heck? You know, th this isn't, you know, and Laban's like, all right, deal. here's the deal. You can have Rachel. I'll give you Rachel now, but you got to work for me another seven years. Bad boss. <laughs> it's a bad boss. So he agrees. Here's the other thing I want to note that I want us to see. Jacob is over here in the east for about 20 years after he flees from Esau. Over those 20 years, God just like, it's like every couple of years just kind of shows up in, in Jacob's life at key moments of time to just assure him and say this. He says things like this. Go ahead and put that, that verse up. This is right after. This is right after he duped his brother. Like days after he, he, flew, he fled from Esau. This is what God says to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I want you to know I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you to, back to this land, the land of your fathers. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
And then he, and, and other multiple times, he, he recites the Abrahamic covenant or a variation of it to Jacob. Like, this is your destiny. This is, this, this is what I've given to you. This is your Christmas list, my son. This is what I want to give to you in life. I want you to prosper. I want you to be a mighty nation. And not only that, I want to give you a sense of purpose. I want to bless the world through your descendants. And here we are two, 4,000 years later. And people of Jewish heritage say, I'm a son of, or a daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what's happening all throughout this passage. Meanwhile, Jacob is still keeping, to, 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 trying to take things that have yet, not yet been given him. Well, during that seven years, the second seven years, so it's been 14 years that he's been working for his uncle Laban, everything that Jacob touches prospers. All the flocks of Laban, Laban was a, a shepherd, and his flocks just explode in those 14 years. And Laban becomes an, a very wealthy man. At the end of the 14 years, Jacob says, listen, I'm out. Can I be done now? I've done my 14 years. Please, can I just, can I just go home now? And, and Laban's like, here's the deal. Um, our, our, our earnings have exploded with you here, so no. Like, please stay. And he's like, no, no I'm not. I, I, I want to go do my own business startup. I'm sick of working for you, as my, you know, having you as my boss. And, you know, and Laban says, the Lord has blessed me because of you. And Jacob, I think Jacob would probably say, I want the Lord to bless me because of me. I'm sick of him blessing you, so I want to go. And Laban's like, name your price. And finally Jacob kind of says this. He's like, all right, let's take your flocks. I will work for you and, and tend your flocks as long as I can have every goat or sheep that has stripes or speckles, Okay. Meanwhile, you keep every, Laban, you get to keep all of the solid color, white or brown, sheeps and goats. And we'll, we'll break them up now, and then in the future, any sheep that's born with speckles or stripes or streaks, that's mine, but you get the solid color ones. And Laban's like, deal. So they go off about this deal, and Jacob, again, feeling like he deserves something, feeling like he's being robbed by Laban, he starts to do something really silly. It's really the first attempt at genetic modification. He, he, some of you know the story. He, um, he took branches that were dark, laid them in the water in front of the sheep and the goats when they came to water and when they came to mate. And if it was a weak sheep, he wouldn't, he'd take away the sticks. But if it was a strong sheep or goat, he'd put the sticks in front of him like, you see this? Breed that. See, it, can you... And it's like, but it seems to work because literally over the, the next years, Jacob's flocks explode and become really strong and Laban gets all the weak animals if he gets any animals at all. And what's funny about this is like the next chapter, God appears to Jacob in a vision or a dream and he says, listen, hey dummy, your feeble attempt at GMO, goats and sheep, can I, I want you to know that was actually me. Because I told you, that, I told you that I was going to do this. Jacob, I told you that I was going to prosper you. you this is, Jacob, this isn't something you need to take. This is something that I'm going to give. And now because of your tomfoolery, 
your, your uncle Laban is getting really suspicious of some of these things that you're doing, and, and he's getting really suspicious. He, he's worried that you're stealing from him, so you better get out of here. It's time to go back home. He says, go west, young man. You always go west, right? We know that in Colorado. Like, you, you, where do you want to go? You just say west. That's the right answer. So Jacob, he said, go home. Go back to the west, back to Esau. And so Jacob, uh, Jacob makes another bad mistake. He leaves without telling Laban, which looks really suspicious, right? All of a sudden, Laban looks around a couple days, and it's been a couple days, and all of Jacob's stuff's gone, all of his family's gone, all of his tents, everything, and he's packed up, and he's heading west back to his homeland. And Laban is like, he's mad, so he chases after Jacob, and I think he has the intention to, to do something, to crack some skulls when he gets to Jacob. But what happens is he gets to Jacob, he overtakes Jacob, and right before he overtakes him, God goes, comes to Laban and says, you better not touch him. Be really careful about what you say, good or bad, to Jacob. And Laban finally, he, he catches up to him and he says, listen, what the heck? You, you left like a thief in the night. You left, these are my kids, Jacob, these are my grandkids. You didn't even let me say goodbye. And there's a couple days where they kind of work things out and, and they're able to settle the dust a little bit. But in the end, what happens is, is Laban says, listen, you and I are going to set up a pillar, a rock, a monument saying, of, uh, uh, representing our truce. I'm not going to go to the west of that rock and you're not going to go to the east. We're saying goodbye forever. Like, like we're good, but I never want to see you again because of the way you treat, you know, like because the way we treated, really they treated each other. And so they shake hands, he kisses his grandkids, and he goes back to his land. And Jacob turns around and he realized that he's got burnt bridges behind him and burnt bridges in front of him. And literally, I, I had so much fun this week reading, like just kind of looking at the geography. Because he can't go that way of the pillar. And in front of him is this river. And on the other side of that river is Esau land. And so what he does is he decides to send a messenger to Esau and say, listen, you're, and every message he sends over the next couple days is, your servant, your brother Jacob has sent us. Isn't that interesting, the irony of that? Your servant sends this message to him. Well, the messengers come back. They find Esau, come back. And Jacob's like, what did he say? And they're like, well, he didn't really say much. He just got like 400 guys together and started heading our way. Is that good? <laughs> you know, like, and Jacob freaks out, literally. He starts sending not just gifts, but waves of gifts, caravans of gifts, full riches of gifts. Hundreds of sheep, hundreds of goats, 50 cows, donkeys, camels, wave after wave. And every wave is supposed to bow down before Esau and says, this is from your servant, your brother Jacob. And it, and, and it says in Genesis that, that Jacob did that to pacify his brother, to try to win his favor. And, 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 and then it comes down to this moment, Esau just keeps coming and coming and coming. He gets so close that Jacob knows that tomorrow's the day. And he, he Jacob, and this is such, he's such a coward. I, I, I feel bad for him. 
because what he does is he takes all of his possessions, he crosses that river, leaves them there, and then goes back onto the other side. He put himself in the furthest away from harm. Even his wife and kids were in front of him like a human shield. And then Genesis says this, and this is the most powerful phrase, I think, in this interaction. So Jacob was left alone. Jacob, the guy from the very beginning has been promised so many good things. The guy throughout his whole life, God has said, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm going to prosper you, I'm going I'm to do mighty things through you. Jacob, every single thing that he's ever touched in his whole life has turned to gold. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, 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 the owner of the promised land is now standing on a spit of land with a, between a rock and a river, rock and a hard place. He's trapped. And here's, here's what I want us to see. Like, I think this is really important for us to see is it is possible for us to have everything that we've ever wanted and still be miserable. It's possible for us to have God, to, for God to be with us, to be blessing us in our lives, and we're still un, unable to be happy because we're lonely, and we're angry, and we're hurt, and we're scared. Like, there's moments in time where there's, it's really dark, and I have to say, I, I feel for Jacob because this had to be one of the most confusing moments in his whole life. Like, what the heck? Like, I thought you were with me, God. But see, Jacob's problem, picture that little boy, that, that kid, that nine-year-old kid, that was so intent on getting Christmas and getting it early, it just about ruined Christmas. That's the story we're looking at today. And I just, I, I couldn't help this week but reflect on Evergreen, Colorado. We have so much. Not all of us. Not everybody. But we're surrounded by big houses, big lots. I think the most beautiful place in the world. And I think inside a lot of those houses might be people saying, what the heck? Why am I lonely? Everything I've ever wanted, I've, I've gotten, I've taken it. The problem is, is when we take gifts, that's sometimes the best way to ruin a gift. You know what I mean? Like, we can ruin a gift really fast by taking it. That's where Jacob is today. What happens next is a really powerful scene that honestly I could preach a sermon on all by itself, but I won't. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And it, that's kind of abrupt, like who is this? wrestling match like 
And we come to find out, if you're, if you're familiar with the story, that, that he actually wrestled with God. I think there's some powerful implications about this right here. So Jacob was left alone, but not for long. Because even in this dark moment, night of the soul, a, a night of his own creation, really, he got himself into this own predicament, God comes. I think God comes for a fight. Here's another implication of this. If you, if you look at this passage, there's nothing negative about wrestling with God. And some of you guys need to hear that. It's okay to wrestle with God. He can take it. It's okay to wrestle with God and, and, and say what's on your mind. Sometimes rated R prayers are the best prayers. Those are the prayers we need to pray. And I think when we pray them, God's like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Let's wrestle. Here's the other thing you need to know about wrestling with God. It goes on to say, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So it's like this dangling leg probably as he's still wrestling with the guy. And here's what you need to know about wrestling with God. You can push on God, but he might push back. He's not afraid to push back. He's not, you're like, if you're going to go into a wrestling match with God, you have to go into it knowing you might not win. But still go into it. Because look at this. Then the man said, verse 26, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And it's not like he can't beat him. You know, like, let me go, you're, you're winning. He's like, no, I could, I, could, I could implode your face right now. I just touched your hip, but you know, I could do a lot more, but I don't want to hurt you more. And by the, you know, besides, it's daybreak. It's go time, Jacob. You have a date with destiny. Y you got to go. Face up to the music that you created. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I've always read that as a very selfish phrase, a very selfish statement that Jacob was saying. Like even in this time when he should be humbled before God, wrestling with God, he's still asking for something. He's such a taker. And as I dug into this passage and read commentaries this week, there wasn't one commentary that said that that was selfish. They said, no, that's right where Jacob needs to be. That's right where we need to be. Because what happened in this moment is I think that little boy that wanted Christmas to come early and is, is in danger of ruining his own Christmas, that little boy became a man. He grew up in that moment as he started to recognize, bless me. Will you bless me? You are the true source of blessing. The blessing that I've been told about since the day I was born. The blessing that I tried to take from my brother. The blessing that I tried to, the prosperity I tried to take from my uncle. It didn't come from them. The blessing comes from you. And there's nothing that I need to do to manipulate that to make that happen. There's no corners that I need to cut. There's no authority I need to usurp. There's no buddy I need to get out of my way because you're the CEO. And see, honestly, what, and this is where it applies to our story. We're going to talk about this a little more in a couple weeks when, when we talk about this. I'm really excited for the next one. What's the story you want to tell? 
Jacob got everything he ever wanted, but it was all his story. He took it all. In, in, in essence, he never got a chance to say, yeah, God was faithful. I, I trusted in the CEO, and he was faithful. And so now I know him as trustworthy. What's the story you want to tell? And, and here's where I want to leave it this morning. Um, here's my challenge for you. As you think about the authority figures in your life, and, and, and facing them and dealing with them and, and, and having, to de- <laughs> having to tell your boss what surplus is and that kind of stuff. When you're tempted to take, I want you to pray. I want you to pray this prayer. Help, Lord, help me grow up. Help me grow up in my understanding of you. Help me to understand you're all-powerful. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to take. I don't need to make things happen because you're my God. Is it possible? And this is, this is what I believe. Jacob's story, although very unique, at a very unique part in history, I mean, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like, that's not us. But I do believe that, that, I, that Jacob's story is our story. What I believe about God is he does have a list for us. He has a a Christmas list uh, for us. Things that he wants to do in and through our lives that are blessings. And yes, it's going to be be costly. It won't always be easy. It doesn't mean that it's like this easy road. I don't think he likes easy roads. It might be a really hard road. That's the road you want. What I've learned personally through this whole dynamic of taking. Everything that I've ever taken, I really didn't want. I want what he is giving. And I challenge you to, to especially, we're talking horrible bosses, submit to the authorities in your life and allow God to show his power to be able to work through them in spite of them. Let me pray. God, some of us are feeling trapped, feeling stuck, feeling out of real estate. And some of us are mad about it. Some of us are angry. Lord, if that's us, would you, would you draw us in? If we need to have a wrestling match, come and wrestle with us. Um, Lord, we want to submit to you. We know that, that maximum freedom is found under your authority. The life that we long for is with you. I pray that for every heart in here that we don't miss that. As we, as we sing songs this morning, tell us how to respond. Use this space, use this time, Lord, to move in our hearts as we reflect on on your grace, your goodness, how big you really are. Amen.